Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by HBO's The Inspiration Room. As you probably know at The Skim and on this podcast, we are all about sharing the stories of women who inspire us. That is why we partnered with HBO on their Women's History Month initiative, which is called The Inspiration Room. This is a very cool, one-of-a-kind, open-to-the-public exhibition in New York City that brought to life real diaries from women from all walks of life. We went, we participated, we loved it, and we want to tell you more about it. But first, we have to get to this episode. Yeah, I think imposter syndrome is very real. But the the joke is that Bill and Henry have it too. So we all we all kind of go, wait, we're not we're not in this alone, you know? We're doing this thing together. And it's only gonna be interesting if we make it work together. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Sarah Goldberg to the couch, live from the Inspiration Room. Thank you. Sarah has been passionate about acting from the time she was a little kid. She got her start in the London theater scene. And of course, today, you know her from HBO's Barry, where she plays Sally alongside Bill Hader and Henry Winkler. We're going to get dig into the rest of Sarah's story today, including having her read one of her diary entries. That's not something you often get people to do, which is part of the Inspiration Room exhibit. We're so excited. Let's get started. Sarah, welcome to the couch. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. All right. We're going to make this a little bit painless. Don't worry. Okay. We're start <laughs> off. Give me your resume for us. Oh, God. Okay. Um, well, my very first job, honestly, was selling prom dresses in this little shop called Maryland's Boutique in West Van. And I got hired because um, I knew all the local girls. So I think they thought I would be, you know, good at it. But I kept telling them where to get them cheaper. So <laughs> that did not last. Um, and then I was a camp counselor. Um, and then I started a theater company with my best friend when you I started was, the company? Yeah, when I was 18. It was called Beyond Blue theater because we had blue uniforms so you know we were beyond it we'd graduated okay so um so we had um we we did one show in north vancouver at the presentation house for two weeks mixed reviews um and uh and then i moved to london and i went to theater school um i went to lambda i was there for three years and fell in love with london and um managed to get a play right as I was graduating um, at the Young Vic Theater, which was like a dream. And I was like, oh my God, being an actor is so easy and wonderful. And they pay you so much money, 400 pounds a week, you know? (laughs) Um, And like, it was such a dream. It was like this amazing job. And then I was chucked out quite quickly um, and did all the odd jobs from waitressing to the worst was holding a sign in Leicester Square that said, Bad Girls the Musical. I lasted for one shift. Because a guy came up to me and he was like, "Are you bad girl?" And I was oh like, "Oh my god, this is not okay." Um, so, and then um, the job that kind of changed my life was this play called Apologia at the Bush Theater, and um, it was a beautiful play by Alexi K. Campbell, and that sort of got me a good agent and got me going. And from there, I did a lot of theater in London for about five years, and then I started doing theater 
in New York. My first show was Look Back in Anger um, off Broadway. And and then I started working in TV and got a show that was lovely called Hindsight that got canceled. And then that leads us up to Barry, and here we I are. think. <laughs> I skipped some embarrassing jobs in there, but well, we're going to get there. <laughs> we'll get to them. <laughs> What is not on your resume? I'm sorry. Oh, right. What is not so, on your resume <laughs> that you would like to tell us about? Um, okay. So I think um, what is definitely not on my resume is um, I did, uh, when I was waitressing, I got some odd jobs doing things like there were there was often calls for like American accents. And so I did like um, voiceovers for video games and like motion capture, which somehow led me to this horrific job um, called WWW, What's In, What's On, What's Up. And it was a language show for German kids learning English written by a Swedish woman. And we we filmed it for two days in a warehouse in Bristol. And um, it was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, after high school, after the prom dresses, um, you moved to London to go to this drama conservatory. That's like a wonderful sentence to say that you graduate high school and then you move to London and go to this drama conservatory. Um, but why London and why drama? I um, honestly, I always wanted to act. I wish I had some like good reason for such a big decision, but I can't really remember what it was. I was so young. I always loved telling stories and um, I did theater all through school and I had this amazing drama teacher um, who really kind of taught us like a strong work ethic. His name was Michael Weiner, and he really taught me like, you know, if you want to do this, you can do it. Like you're going to be broke, but you're going to be so happy. And so I felt sort of a lot of courage from the way he'd lived his life. And he was like, go to theater school, you know? Um, and which wasn't really the done thing where I grew up, you know, and I had to sort of fight various voices. Not my, my father was incredibly supportive actually when I was growing up. I was, I came to him once in grade 12 and was like, my grades are all dropping. And he was like, don't you want to go to theater school? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do they care about your grades? I was like, no, it's pass fail. And he's like, what are you so worked up about? And it was so nice to have that permission. Like I was really grateful. Anyway, I wanted to go to Juilliard, did not get in. Um, and when I was 17, I auditioned, I hadn't even left school. And, um, and then I, I went backpacking around Europe when I was 18. Um, and with my best friend and we fell madly in love with London. It was our first stop. And I was so, I mean, I was just stars in my eyes. I saw so much theater and I just had this feeling like I have to live here. And so Lambda was the only school that was doing auditions in Seattle. So I drove down to Seattle and auditioned and there, that was it. Yeah. So after you got into this program, you get this big break at the Young Vic, which is a huge deal in the theater world, you kind of felt like this was it. Like, wow, that was easy. People say being an actor is hard. Like, it wasn't that hard. Walk us through, and then I, I want you to kind of look at your diaries. Obviously, we're in the inspiration room, but walk us through how long that lasted. How long how the long job? That, how long that high that lasted? High. <laughs> it was brief, but so beautiful. Um, so it was sort of September, I think uh, August to October. Well, well, we'll know in a minute when we check the entry, but it was about two and a half months. Um, and it was like, 
this utopian experience, you know, you have like the code to the dressing room and you have, um, you know, a dresser and all these beautiful costumes that are yours and a, a cast, you know, that you love. And, you know, the corridors are sort of filled with noise and, um, you have this little temporary family. Um, I think that's probably one of the things I was most attracted to about theater and acting was like, it's almost like a summer camp experience. You know, you've got this little, crew and so yeah it was very much um spat out at the end of it into the real world of it's going to be really hard and I got a job in this pub um in Notting Hill so let's open the diary okay <laughs> let's let's share okay I've never said that like please open your diary we're not going to open ours but you can open yours turn to October 2007 okay. please yes Okay, so this is October 26, yeah, 2007. So it was 22. Um, this is the nature of it then. One week, you have an income, a backstage pass, a company, a script, a dresser, a costume, a character, and a sense of purpose. And the next week, you're sluggish on the couch, Googling shitty jobs, feeling guilty for not writing more and for not creating. It's a funny old job, a bad choice, really. <laughs> so... I want to unpack that because a lot of our audience, I'm going to just take a guess, is not necessarily trying to make it in the acting world. But I think good decision. (laughs) But I think if you extrapolate that, that's a feeling that so many of us can relate to. Whether it's you took a job and we're like, that was so the wrong job for me, and now I'm stuck, or whether you thought you got a job and like it was great, and then maybe you got let go, or the company changed, or didn't work out for various reasons. How do you? How did you manage to kind of dig deep to go from that real high where you thought you had it all figured out to like, really, it sounds like you weren't in the best mental state at that moment. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, if I really had an answer to that, (laughs) still working on it. Um, No, you know, I think I think that I was able to sort of keep my optimism and hope around it. I think maybe because I'm Canadian. I don't know. They just like (laughs) stamp it into your passport when you're born. Um, So I I really didn't struggle necessarily on that front. Um, And I had a lot of really good mentors like early on in my career. I was lucky to work with Alan Rickman. And, you know, he gave me this long talk about like our generation and that there's such anxiety around success, finding success so young and in my profession, fame. And um, he said, you like, when I left school, you know, you go into repertory theater and you're spear carrier number three for three years in rep theater. And, you know, kind of, you know, get to work with all these incredible people and, and have a sort of apprenticeship approach to the whole thing. And, um, you know, he gave me really good advice. He said the secret to film acting is monitoring your sugar intake throughout the day, which I thought was really it would not be a good yeah. pro. <laughs> and and also to always steal something from set. He opted for um, a book on Italian art for his wife. But I was going to say that the the focus part of it is where I really struggle. And still, like we finished Barry season two. And you go from like 16 hour days and you're so needed and you're so fundamental to a process and you have such a sense of purpose. And then you're just sort of chucked out and looking at this like expanse of time. And as a freelancer, which I'm sure some of your audience are freelancers, you're, you know, you can relate. It's like you're you're left sort of curating your day. And that, I think, is really challenging. Um and still figuring it out. The other thing that you talked about was the notion, um, part of the thing that drew you to the theater is this idea of family. Yeah. And I think that's something um, 
that we hear a lot of the time from people getting their first jobs and going into an office environment. And the idea that you show up and you create such tight knit relationships with people that it feels like a family. Yeah. How did you, and it sounds like you had that experience when you were like 22, 23. How have you thought about that as you've grown and had to think about things in a more professional view? Um, well, I don't know if actors ever really fully grow up. So <laughs> I, um, no, I honestly, I, I've never shifted that mentality. I I think that there's a naivety to it for sure. Um, But I think that we do the best work when we come together. I mean, that's what we're doing here. That's why we're all in a room together and we're living in such weird, dark times where everything is feels like things are disbanding. And I think that um, creating a sense of community in the workplace as much as you can, I think is really important. And obviously, you know, in my job... um, you know, there's unusual circumstances in my job. You're suddenly playing best friends with somebody you met yesterday. You're kissing someone you met that morning. You know. Yeah, and so so there's obviously like an intimacy to the job sometimes that hopefully isn't happening in offices all over <laughs> New York. Um, but it, you know, I I think that I hope that that sort of family feel can extend to all professions. And I know it sounds like very Canadian of me to say, but I I think that the best jobs I've had, Barry included, is when a group of people really comes together to make something. And with theater, it's like, it's never interesting what one actor is doing. The only thing that's interesting is what's happening between two people. And so you've got this kind of group you can depend on and like hold hands and jump together and that sort of sense of community I mean I hope it can be found in other so you eventually made the jump from theater um, yeah. to the small screen I guess yes. uh, is that what you say is that what yes. people say that's what they the say small screen? Yes. Uh, to so the laptop screen the laptop screen yeah. uh, so your to first, someone's iPhone yeah. <laughs> so your first big role on TV was for a show called Hindsight and for those who don't know it it was about a girl who gets thrown back in time and gets to do things differently so we're going to play Hindsight with you oh no if you had to go back to the beginning of your acting career what would you do differently well, I'd skip that WWW job because honestly, it was more fun in the pub and it didn't pay any better. Um, I that's such a good question, and I don't know. I just I honestly, again, the Canadian cheesy response is I I don't think I would change anything. I I feel like work begets work, and I had some jobs that felt you know difficult at the time or that I was disappointed by at the time, but I. I got something out of it or it led me to somebody else I wanted to work with. I mean, even working in that pub was how I got that first job at the Bush because this girl who I went to school with, who we didn't know each other at school, she was um, flyering at a nightclub down the road and she'd come into the pub every night um, for a cocktail before her shift and we would chat and commiserate. And then her next job was casting at the Bush Theater. And I never would have known that working at that pub would have led to me getting this great job. So... I don't know. I don't know what I would change. I mean, it's not to say that I haven't made mistakes, I, you know, but I, I feel like I'm. they've taken me here. And of I, the kind of odd jobs, yeah. I'll call them, like your transition jobs. Yeah. Which, I mean, it sounds like working at the pub kind of um, brought 
opportunities in terms of meeting people, but what skill sets did you kind of learn in those jobs that oh, you that's think a good question. have contributed <laughs> to who you are today? Well, I'd say in the pub, um, to be discerning, um, because I worked there for nine months and in England they have something called a service charge. So you don't, you, you know, you don't pay tips. There's 12 and a half percent added. So at the end of the week we would get our regular paycheck for our hours and then we would get our service charge paycheck. I worked there for nine months and was so grateful for every check and like so happy to be there. So relieved I wasn't fired for all the spilling and clumsiness. And then my, my best friend, she's from Dublin and she's a lot tougher than me. And she did two shifts and she looked around the room and she was like to the manager, okay, um, rough math. There's like, you know, 20 people in the restaurant right now. That's about this much per bill and that's about this much service charge and she's like where the fuck is our money and I was like wait what (laughs) Um, I had no idea and so you know I think to pay attention to your surroundings um, and be sort of discerning and and be also um, you know it's important to have gratitude but not necessarily be so grateful I was so grateful to the point of um, being totally obtuse and oblivious to being taken advantage of Let's take a quick break to tell you all more about The Inspiration Room. So earlier this month, HBO created a temporary public exhibition that featured actual diaries of women past and present, and it included ours. Um, So it was designed to celebrate diversity and complexity of the female narrative in honor of Women's History Month, because HBO wants to make sure that women get the representation they deserve, which is why we participated. So when you get there, there are all these diaries. Um, Some are from influencers, some are from women throughout history, and some are from everyday women. We are so excited to partner with HBO on this initiative, and we recorded this episode of Skimmed from the Couch from inside the Inspiration Room. But that's not all we did. Uh, When we submitted our diary for this room, we really reflected on um, what gets behind the new products that we create at the Skim and a fear of failure. Uh, When we started the company, Everything was possible because it was just two of us and a mission. And then you grow and there are more people involved and the fear of failure begins to hold you back. Um, So the decision to create our book, How to Skim Your Life, um, was something that had been on our minds for a long time. And we finally had to put that fear of failure aside to go for it. So learn more about HBO's The Inspiration Room at HBO.com. So you went from theater to TV. Did you, and this is such like an actor question, but like, did you think twice about switching mediums? I had probably auditioned for, I don't know, I mean, hundreds of pilots before hindsight. I mean, there was no conscious like, I hope TV's ready for me because I'm coming. Um, (laughs) I just, I finally, I was, I finally had an audition where I wasn't so nervous that I collapsed because I was so jet lagged for this audition. I just come back from London. I was so jet lagged. I couldn't see straight. And then the casting director had kidney stones and I went in and I could see him like double over and I was like, are you okay? And he was like, ah, I, I, I have kidney stones. I was like, okay, we have to stop and like, let's go to the hospital. And he's like, no, no, let's, let's just get this tape. And then I promise you I'll go. And so suddenly having to look after somebody else took me completely out of my own neuroses. And 
I honestly think it's why I got the job. Um, and so, yeah, there was no conscious transition. It just, I finally... I finally got a job that paid. To be fair, it's not TV, it's HBO. I've been like waiting well, to it, say yeah, that. Yeah, yes. It's so, not TV, it's H Boss, oh baby. Oh my God, I cannot yeah. believe I just fell into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, but when you talk about the auditions and hearing no, I mean, we've talked a lot about on this podcast, especially, you know, when we fundraised in the beginning, we heard hundreds of no's. Like we talk to um, entrepreneurs all the time that are, you know, starting an idea, trying to get something off the ground and people say, no, I don't like the idea or you're not the right person to do it. And it's obviously, you know, different circumstances, but similar feeling, similar experience to hear that no. How do you, how did you get through that? How how do you overcome that and not let that kill you? Well, just quick side note. I mean, what you guys have done is incredible. And like, I'm so glad you didn't listen to the nose because you're our favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I win them over. No, I, you know, it's a tough one because it, it's hard. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any way around around that it's it's really hard it can be soul crushing at times it's relentless people say it's 40 no's before you get a job I think it's 400 I, you know it's but I think um at the end of the day I sort of I really it goes back to Michael Weiner, that drama teacher I had in school I felt like I was lucky that I was given sort of really good advice when I was young and I really was ready to play the long game. I knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew it was going to be hard. I knew I was going to do it in some capacity. I didn't have sort of um, grand ambitions of, you know, being some Hollywood actress. I have a very different trajectory to Sally. I wanted to just do this. And if that meant teaching, if that meant starting my own theater company, you know, in a small town in Ontario, I just, I felt like there was going to be a way to do it. And I think that held my hand through some of it. That said, like, you know, the nose are still painful. I didn't get a job three weeks ago that I wanted. And it took me, you know, I give myself like, this is the rule. If it's one you really love, 48 hours. You have 48 hours, eat all the things you want, cry as much as you want, make all the phone calls you want, and then you're cut and life has to move forward. Because if you know you really want to do something, nobody's gonna, nobody can really stop you. And I know that's a corny thing to say, but no, I, I really, I really like believe that. it. So let's talk about today and Barry and Sally. So Sally is a struggling actor in LA who's the star of her acting class. Um, and Henry Winkler is your acting instructor. Yes. And you're with the Fonz. Yes. And Bill Hader is your love interest. So yeah. you work with Stefan and the Fonz. Yeah. I mean, Can we just do like one like at a time? This what is, is the Fonz yeah. Okay. I mean, Henry, I don't even know where to begin. First of all, like work is like not work. It's like a mensch off. It's like Henry like orders Zabar's to Los Angeles. Like there's already cake on set, you know? Um, he's, I have so many stories about Henry. I don't know where to begin. I met him at my audition. Um, I was like stuck in this stairwell, like tucked away because I was so nervous and there was all these nervous girls and I didn't want to absorb any of the energy. So this like man comes down and like 180s and sticks out his hand. Um, and he's like, hi, I'm Henry. And I look up and I'm like, hi, I'm 
hallucinating. Like, you know, like, like the Fonz is not normally at my auditions. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, he was so lovely. He just said, are you about to read? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, break leg. And it was so thoughtful. Um, he's so lovely. And, and my dad, actually, like, he doesn't know who any famous people are. Like, anytime I say I'm working with somebody, he's like, who? And when I said I was working with Henry Winkler, he was like, Fonzie? And he was so excited. And then I told Henry, I was like, my dad was really excited. And he went, and he looks at you so serious. He's like, well, does your dad FaceTime? And it's like... <laughs> I was like, no, Henry, he doesn't know how to use FaceTime. He's like, well, when he figures it out, we'll FaceTime your father. You I know, FaceTime just, the phone. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, he would. Honestly, we could call him right now and he don't, would answer. Don't tempt her. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but, yeah, sorry. So talk, tell us about that audition. Yes. Well, okay. So when I got the call for the audition, I was like living the actor's dream of like 3 p.m. still in my bathrobe. Um, peanut butter, banana on toast, um, all of it. And my manager called and he was like, and hindsight had been canceled. And he was like, Bill Hader has this new pilot for HBO and I think it's your part. And I was like, cool, yeah, let's do that one. Sure, sign me. Like, I mean, in what world? I mean, it just seemed so, so out of reach. And then he got me an audition with casting and that was all the normal bit and fine. And then it was in LA and I was like, I had five days there for something else. And um, I got called into casting and they're like, so, so who are you? And when are you leaving? And I could feel like something was new. And they're like, Bill really wants to meet you before you leave town. Would it be okay if we gave you if, if we gave him your number? He wants to walk through like what you want to do um, in this audition. And I was like, I mean, imagine if I said no. Right. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, and so Bill called me and he was like, um, "How would you feel about coming in tomorrow and improvising with me?" And I was like, honestly, not good, you know? <laughs> like, really not good. I don't do improv. Um, you know, you are Stefan. Um, can we do, like, a bit of classical theater instead? <laughs> um, and anyway, I ended up going in and spending this hour with him improvising, and I've never laughed so hard in my life. And he sort of set this tone of it being exactly what we're saying, like a family, best idea wins, no ego, real collaboration. It was so joyful. Anyway, they called me in for a screen test and it's a long story to explain why I was gonna be late, but I'm an extremely punctual person. I've never been late for anything. And my manager, who's also my best friend of like 20 years, insisted on driving me. And when we were like pushing the like, maybe we're gonna be two minutes late, which was already giving me a lot of anxiety, we realized we were going to the complete wrong place uh. so it's like LA and it's like he was like close your eyes I'm gonna do some things that you don't want to see and we 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 just went as fast as we could but I was 48 minutes oh late for the biggest opportunity of say? my career oh, I'm like I walked in and like at this point I had Bill's number and they, they'd been so kind to order me breakfast so I text I was like feed my breakfast burrito to the birds like yeah. I, I don't deserve it I got there and I was like sweating and the casting director came out and she was like don't worry take a breath I walk in and it's my first time meeting Alec Berg who's the co-creator of Barry and he like holds out this coffee to me and I was like not gonna drink that, don't need any caffeine. And I was like, I looked at this room, like all these lovely HBO people, and I was like, I'm so sorry, I know I'm 48 minutes late, but I 
have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I, I, I went to the bathroom and then, I mean, it was as awful as you would imagine. Oh, no. And then I walked out and Bill was waiting for me in the hall. <laughs> and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, honestly, no. And he's like, we're not going to start till you're okay. I was like, I'm not going to be okay. So let's just do this. Yeah. And the first scene was this scene from Terms of Endearment where Shirley MacLaine is like screaming and crying <laughs> in the hospital about my daughter, yes. you know, my daughter. So I don't know, they just said rolling and I just burst into tears. I mean, there was no acting required. So I think in the end of the, at the end of the day, my manager like got me the job in right. a really like roundabout stressful way. Yeah. That's a great story. That's also <laughs> terrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's sorry I'm job. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a horrible experience. I know we're able to say it's so, a nice story now. If it had gone the other way. Do yeah. you have like a, I mean, it's so weird to call it like imposter syndrome because it's literally kind of your job, right? Like it's pretending to be someone yeah. else. But do you have like a pre-audition routine? How do you... Honestly, it's all of it is so tough. It's funny. There's another entry in there where like that first performance for the young Vic I read. I was so surprised by some of the things I wrote when I was younger. And the first thing I'm writing on my opening night was like, I feel like a fraud. And... I was, I was sad to read that. I was like, that's one of the most joyful nights of my career. And I was so young and I wish I could have just enjoyed it more. Um, but that, that fear exists so intensely. And, you know, cause I was shooting Barry for all of the fall and, you know, I wasn't really going in for auditions. And so I went into a room last week and I haven't been in a room and I was sitting next to Danielle Brooks from Orange is the New Black. And we were sitting next to each other, both of us like, out of breath, like we were both kind of doing our calming exercises and we looked at each other like, when does this get easier? Like, why, why do I feel 17 and like embarrassed? And so, but then there's another part of me that's like, you know what? I think the gold lives somewhere in there. I think there's a vulnerability in that that's like very useful for what I do. And I don't ever really want to lose that fully because it feels like, that vulnerability is your friend if you but let it when be. when you're, like, so after the audition, phase, yeah. like, you're obviously, you're on this great show. It's a hit show. It's a fantastic yeah. show. If you haven't seen it yet on HBO, you're with, like, a legend like Henry Winkler. Yeah. And an incredible talent like Bill Hader. Do you ever look around and are like, should I push back to, like, on stuff if I disagree? Or can I, is my opinion I'm so equal? lucky. Like, I feel so equal in that environment. And I really credit those guys and Alec Berg for creating that. I feel like, Halfway through season one, um, get, ha, not through the season, but halfway through getting the season one scripts, Bill called me and was like, okay, I need your notes. And I was like, excuse me? Um, he's like, yeah, we need your notes. I was like, my notes? He's like, yeah, you know, we, we got to that point where you know the character better than we do, so can you just let us know, you know, is there anything she wouldn't say? So there's such permission on that set. It's, it's amazing. And I, and I, I realize how lucky I am and that it's, it's an, a bit of an anomaly that whole, but like we, we do, I think everyone in that group is hungry for the, the same camp family feeling. So on that set, I don't have that problem. And I'm so lucky. I have experienced it in the past, especially with producers and, um, and it's really hard and it's a real balance. Like I, you want to feel heard and you want your voice to be heard, but like sometimes you're in a position where you know you're, you're sort of bottom of the pecking order in that situation and it's, it's a constant juggling act. And yeah, I think imposter syndrome is very real, but the, the joke is that Bill and Henry have it too. So we all, we all kind of go, wait, we're not, we're not in this alone, you know? We're doing this thing together and it's only going to be interesting if we make it work together. And then Henry is just like, I mean, it's like when we work with like 
every day is like a warm hug in his vicinity. You know, like he he does How he do gives you such a great description. <laughs> Honestly. So last segment, best segment. It's the lightning oh, round. Okay. So scary. Quick questions, <laughs> yeah. quick answers. Ready? Okay. What did you think you were gonna be when you grew up? An actor. Or okay. maybe a musician. Okay. Didn't have the talent. <laughs> uh, we did first job. We didn't do worst job. Oh, God. Worst job. Oh, my God. Well, it was probably the WWW thing. I keep bringing yeah. it up. Obviously, I need some therapy terrible. around the topic. Yeah. It's my third time mentioning it. You cannot say that for this answer. This okay. next one. Worst professional mistake you've ever made. Oh. Oh. Um, going on stage doing Clybourne Park in the West End in London with full-blown food poisoning. Um, I was in full 1950s like wardrobe and the show had started and I had a pregnancy belly and all oh these things gosh. but I realized that the sushi I'd had in my break was off and I started vomiting and it was like a bit late to get the understudy ready so I was like I'm just gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, first phone call when you get good news. Oh, I make all the calls. My dad, my sister, my best friend, my boyfriend. I'd yeah. say probably boyfriend first. What about bad news? Um, bad news, probably my sister, boyfriend, father, manager, best friend. <laughs> when was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Hmm. I think it's every day, isn't it? Um, oh, they're painting my apartment and they gave me a lot of lies about um, colors and times and I and I really stood up for myself and said please don't patronize me and um, let's do this right <laughs> yeah how do people know when you're stressed um, oh I think I go I flush or I feel like um, at a faster pace suddenly or um, a bit scattered you know that's probably. Am I showing all those things right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, what drives you? Uh, I, I want to tell good stories, you know? Like, I read read a lot of books that, and see films that, like, consuming other people's art, I feel like, really, really drives me. And if I'm low and need, like, a pick-me-up, then I'd go to, like, Dolly Parton or, like, Aretha Franklin or, like, a 90s power ballad. could really get me going in the morning. Yeah. Last one. What is your shameless plug? Oh, God. Well, watch Barry season two. <laughs> it comes out on March 31st. <laughs> That's a great way to end. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.